I didn't have a plugged in you. Oh, it was my fault, huh? Oh, that's the intro. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So yeah, like uh, this week has gotten away from me, and we've got some great episodes coming up, some 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 good guests, but I really haven't had a chance to put thought together. I, to... I, I have I have a potential topic. Perfect. That's what I was gonna say. Let, let's just just get on and uh, just just talk through stuff today. All right. So one of the things that I've been talking about on the social medias a lot uh, in the past couple of weeks is making some conscious choices for planning out my day and how I want to work. And um, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about is, and Jim, you and I, I think talked about it yesterday with the whole sharpening the saw mm-hmm. uh, analogy. And I think someone on Twitter had responded to something I'd posted with, with that quote, or I said, there needs, there's, I think there's a quote about this. And someone's like, it was, I can't remember who said the quote, something about uh, if I had so many hours, I'd spend the first, so many sharpening the saw before I chopped down the tree. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of how that impacts marketing technology teams within companies. And I started thinking back to my career and when I left consulting and went client side, uh, it's the same, it's the same type of thing that happened back then. I'm looking up the years. So that was, that was a long time ago, 2007. Uh, I left Omniture in 2007 and joined Spark Networks as manager of web analytics. And I was a team of one. And I was responsible for vendor selection, vendor management, uh, any kind of things that were escalated within analytics or testing. I was responsible for implementation strategy, design, actual implementation, analysis, optimization, like responsible for the whole thing. Um, For one, people can't be strong in all those things. And I'm definitely not. There are things in there I'm stronger than others. Um, But two, you get you end up getting a lot of masters as well. So, you know, I had marketing that wanted help analyzing the effectiveness of their campaigns. I had executives that were interested in and understanding our user behavior. I had a product that wanted to run A-B testing. I had the engineering team that wanted to track down weird user sessions to figure out what was it's just so much to do. Um, and we're seeing that still today. I, I think at least with the companies that I've been working with over the last 10 years or so, and I'm sure you guys have seen similar, these teams that we're working with are very, very thin, very light, and we're asking them to do a lot. And one of the challenges with that is you're put in a situation where you may fully accept that sharpening the saw is the best solution for now and for long term. But when you have so many people yelling at you for your time, you often just 
go into panic reactionary mode and just start trying to serve all the masters. And, and oftentimes we see that that leads to decision-making that's not very well thought out. It may put a bandaid on, on something that's bleeding right now, but it's not best for what's long-term. And then we see companies talk about why are we struggling with maturing as an organization? It's like, well, if you're constantly in panic mode, you don't have the time to stand back and put in the time to properly structure things so you can mature. So that was a lot and a mouthful. Um, but it's been 13 years since I was in that situation client site, and it still seems to be fairly commonplace that we load up our MarTech teams with very few people, but ask them to do a tremendous amount. So I guess two ways we can take this conversation. Uh, what, what do you guys think is the overriding issue on why our spend on people, specifically in analytics and optimization, is, is so relatively low? Uh, so we can go down that path. We can also go down the path of what things can we do and what are we advising our clients on to help them get out of that scenario of, of constantly being in a state of panic and thinking more deliberately about how they're framing their day and making decisions that may not be what the business wants to hear. It's going to take five days instead of one, but ultimately we're putting the business in a position to mature uh, and see greater gains over time. Yeah, there's several, several, definitely several different ways we can look at this and tackle it, and and I don't think it's necessarily one one cause. I mean, as you were talking, and we've tackled this before, so I don't want to touch on. It. I just want to quickly, you know, mention it. We've talked before about Martech sales and how I think they oversimplify things and make it seem like the technology itself solves the problem, not technology as the saw, and you need someone who's constantly sharpening it and using it. So that, that's definitely um, one aspect of it. But then I also think you, um, you have a lot of these teams, or at least maybe vendors that, 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 that these teams engage with that are, are very inexperienced. So Bryant and I were talking with a client just, just two hours ago. And the marketing technology is not in scope for our engagement. That being said, we are the one who stood up the tag management platform and we're the ones helping them get up to speed on the tag management platform so that they can manage the marketing tags while we manage the analytics data collection. And of course we get this urgent request, like we need this tag deployed. And Bryant asks, well, when's the campaign go live? Last week, they wanted to start running it last week <laughs> and we just got the code. And they're like, well, how do we, you know, how do we set expectations? And um, one of our stakeholders was like, do I go in and say, well, we're still getting trained up. So it's going to be two weeks now, but then in the future, maybe this or that. And I'm, my recommendation was flat out two weeks. It, 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 it's a minimum two weeks. And as we dug into that, we realized that regardless of their expertise in the tools, there were other things outside of their control. So, I mean, I'm, I'm getting way into the weeds way too fast, but I think there's inexperience there as far as what goes into the data collection and that you can't allow it to be a rush and you have to be very careful about opening the door for exceptions because quickly the exception will become the rule. Um, it, it's really, it, it's, 
it's this lack of experience around what goes into the data collection. So people just have this expectation of, oh, just put this tag up on the site and poof, everything magically works. Yeah. So let me touch on the first thing on the sales aspect yep. because I have a current story. And then I'd love for you and Brian to go more into that um, issue that, because it is a very real issue and we see it all the time. Um, in fact, I've heard it a couple of times over the last few weeks where I pushed back and said, okay, here's everything that's happening. Here's why this is complex. Here's how we're going to attack it. And here's the design that's going to be scalable for you in the future. And the feedback is, whoa, I didn't realize it. I thought it was way easier than that. <laughs> right. And, and it tends to be more the business stakeholders that take that perspective and, and those that are requesting. It's like, well, it's just, you put some code on the page. It's super easy. Right. So I'd love for you to go down that path, but let me touch on the sales aspect first, because I think not only the vendors, um, I think those in our space um, are also partly responsible. And, and I'm talking about service agencies um, are partially responsible for that. So I'm, I'm currently talking with the prospect uh, and in our last phone call, they mentioned, hey, we're talking with another agency, seeing if they're the right fit for us. Uh, they're recommending that we buy solution X and that will solve our problem. And they said, what would you do? I said, I would never hire them. And they said, why? And I said, well, people solve issues. Tools can be used to make that more efficient and easier. But if someone's telling you all you have to do is spend money on a tool and that's going to fix your issue, run. Right. Because that's that's enhancing this problem that we're talking about, that the mindset is, well, you just put a tool in place. It doesn't matter what people or what your current culture is or how you're utilizing. None of that matters. You just put the tool in place and it works. So I think the vendors are the vendor sales teams are absolutely to blame because they oversell how easy it is. And that leads into what we're going to talk about next. But also, I think a lot of service agencies, especially those that are getting comped and getting kickbacks from from vendors are hugely to blame as well because they're first selling the product and then when that doesn't work and after they've collected their kickback then they come in and like well we can help make that better with you just need to buy more of our services so i just wanted to throw that out there because it's a, a very relevant conversation that i'm i'm having right now yeah technology doesn't fill the people gap and oftentimes people just assume it will but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a handful of thoughts that, that have come through with this. I mean, the initial statement of people being expected to do more with less time, like I, like that, that goes beyond, I think analytics. Um, you know, name name a team that you've worked with that you felt like had an, an appropriate amount of expectations for the amount of time or people or resources that they could to execute it, be it sales technology or otherwise. Um, it just seems like more and more is, is being handed. But, but when it comes down to like our space, I think that, that the, the underlying reason in which people are being overwhelmed or, or asked to do more than they they're capable or that they have the resources to do so is, is a lack of planning that goes into what it is that, that a particular stakeholder wants um, as well as them clearly defining the goals or what the end really looks like. Um, people are, are quick to make decisions um, about wanting a particular report or type of data, but they don't articulate why they want it, how they want it, and what it should look like. And so oftentimes those that are 
are implementing or architecting a solution are trying to guess what they would want and how they want it. And then the first version comes out, a report comes out and the CEO or the CMO says, no, that's not at all what I wanted. Or now I need this data or now I need that data. But but they're not truly planning and thinking through in most cases what they really want um, the, the end product to look like. And I am saying product in that reporting and data is a product and they don't think about the fact that that product needs to be defined and specced out and, and they're the consumer of that product. So uh, those are those are some of my initial thoughts. And then with respect to, to kind of that, that topic and, and Jim and I, we can go down that a little bit further, but the immediately a quote came to mind to me, um, kind of one of the snarky quotes that basically says, a failure to plan on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. Um, like oftentimes we're, we're in situations where we're trying to please people and as good people, like we'll just do it and we'll think, okay, this is an exception. One time I'm going to implement this for you, but next time, you know, try and give me a couple of weeks notice, but, but all too often those exceptions become the norm and then it compounds yeah. itself. Yeah. And I think that's an, a problem that's rampant in the analytics space because there is a lot of really nice people pleasers that, that work in the space. Um, and unfortunately that, exception becomes the rule to your point and every time we we make that exception it just reinforces it that this is how we're going to to work and it turns into toxic environment we see employees unhappy and leave we see lack of of maturity growth within organizations so um as much as we want to be a people pleaser we also need to to realize that long-term people pleasing is much more valuable than just the short term on on your first point i wonder how much of the lack of planning do you see being on both sides of the equation and the reason i ask that and i maybe have used this analogy in the past is that oftentimes on the analytics side um we, we tend to jump into things without planning as well because mm -hmm. we kind of take this oh it's christmas day i just want to rip into my presence i'm not going to read the instructions on how to you know build this new thing i got i'm just going to start building so whether it's an implementation request or a request for insight, oftentimes we don't we don't plan. We don't take that 70 to 80% time to plan and prepare. We just jump in and start pulling data, start, you know, spouting off insights, just throw code into our tag manager and collect data. And it often backfires on us because we didn't do that planning. So how much of that lack of planning do you think is is evident on both sides? I think it it depends in every situation, there's, uh, you know, there's a spectrum of like what requirements are given versus what questions should be asked to refine it. But I think, I think the onus should be on, on us as implementers and technologists and solution builders um, to ask those questions and actually push back on that. And if, if, you know, if a client of ours comes to us and says, hey, we need this data, our first question should be why? The second question should be, how frequently are you going to use it? And the third question should be, what impact or changes are you going to make or what decisions will you make that will change your customer's experience based on that data? And if they can't answer those three things or don't have a very good answer for them, we need to question whether or not it's worth our time to solution it or spin up resources to deploy something. Um, and so... You know, in, in my early stages of consulting, um, 
that was actually more important as, as an interview question that I would ask prospects um, that wanted to join a, a firm with me to work with me um, than their knowledge of, of, at the time, Omniture Analytics or whether it's Google AdWords or um, you know, name a thousand other email vendors. Like my, my criteria for a good consultant or a good analyst is their ability to ask the right questions and push back at the right time than the technology use because technology is going to change and those solutions are going to change. And, and the more a person knows about a specific technology, I think is investing their time in the wrong type of training. Do you think that that's something that just comes with time or do you think that is something that we should be more focused on providing mentoring to ensure that the people that we're putting into these positions realize that there are more valuable skill sets than just knowing how to set a, val a value in your MarTech solution of choice or deploy a tag or pull a, a report. Um, is that something you just have to learn or is that something you think through mentoring that we can be doing a better job of teaching? I think, I think most things can be learned and taught, but I think in this particular case, um, we, we need to be better at forcing that mentorship out there um, or encouraging that, I guess. I guess we can't force anything out there, but, but encouraging that, that mentorship of thinking and actually being more of, of a thinker than just a doer. Um, you know, your question actually made me think of something else too. I think in the industry, you said we're a lot, of, you know, we, we are good people. We, we are people pleasers. And I think we actually do that as, a, as much to satisfy our own curiosity at times of whether or not we can do something because we want to be able to figure, figure out a really complex problem. And so our own intrinsic curiosities can take over and, and we'll say, well, huh, that's, that's really interesting. I wonder if we could do that. And it becomes kind of a little, a little hunt for us to find the solution as a, as opposed to actually thinking, should we be doing it? Um, but, but yeah, so I think, I think that's a part of it is I, I think the more we can mentor and encourage those that are coming into this space and even those that have been in this space to, to think more and, and encourage that, um, that effective pushback or that effective, like just discover what the actual need is before you start doing, um, can, can go a long way. Um, and one, one other thought that I just had too, um, and I'll, I'll yield for a minute here, but um, when one time a long time ago in a previous life, I was studying to become an electrical engineer um, at the University of Utah, which I'm wearing their hat right now. Um, and, and in one of my first programming classes I ever took, um, you know, the instructor talked about what an algorithm is and how important an algorithm is in order to become a good programmer. And at the time, the algorithm was talking about all of the logic or the words that described what your program was going to do. There was zero syntax, there was zero code involved in writing the algorithm. Um, if we wanted to write a loop that would count you know, from one to 20, we'd have to write on words what that was supposed to be first before we wrote any syntax. And what the, the instructor talked about, and this was again a beginning programmer class, uh, programming language in C of all of the languages out there that are never used. Um, but they, they talked about the more time you spend on your algorithm 
will dramatically decrease the amount of time you have in actually writing the code and debugging your own code. And it's it's something that I think we do in analytics um, a major disservice is, is not thinking through that algorithm. What is the business justification? What's the reasoning? What is What do we want the report to actually look like and how does it manifest it? And the technology is so capable now today that we can hack our way around a crappy implementation to get a report to somewhat manifest what we think it should, that oftentimes we don't build a robust solution or a solution that's simple that can actually just build that report easier. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll yield yeah. for a minute here. You know what? Yeah. And it, and it really makes me think about the content that we produce. And I'm wondering if it's just, it's because it's easier to produce a certain type of con- content, or maybe we don't think about the importance of having that discussion around thinking about how you design for analytics. Um, and if you, and, and I, and to be fair, I don't think that's, this is just, in our space. Um, I'm all, I also see something really similar in kind of taking a step outward. So looking at, at the Python space and doing data analysis in Python, I run into the same type of problems where the thought leaders and those that are producing a lot of content have a lot of great articles on the code layer, you know, like set this line of code, you know, run this report, do that. And I'm like, that's awesome. That helps me kind of get to where I want to be. But there's nowhere in there that says, but, and here was the thought process that I went through to get to the point to say, this is the line of code I wanted to use. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, why that is, and let's just look at our space and you look at the, the, you know, the people that tend to have the biggest voice in our space, that's, that's the content. And I think for us as well, if you look at our blog, that's a lot of our content is, you know, here's the code. Um, And, and that's great. And that solves a specific need, but it doesn't help mature the thinking process when we don't share, but here was the thought process and the process that I went through to get to the point to know that that's the line of code that I wanted to use. Right. Right. Thoughts, Jim. Yeah. If I could get off mute. Um, I mean, <laughs> there, there, there's, there, there's several things and, it's not necessarily an answer. It, it, it's a follow-on observation to what you were talking about. It, it feels as if the thought, and this, you've mentioned it several times before, the thud factor of, of a solution, right? The, you know, how big is, you know, how big or how detailed or how fancy the documentation is. It's like the thought process isn't valued, right? It's, I just need these technical requirements. I just need this scope. I just need this report design, you know, and so when you try to say, well, it's going to take two weeks to get to that point, it's like, well, can't you just turn it around? And maybe is, is it because the thought process is invisible? I, I, I don't know, but that, that's the first thing that came to my mind as you were talking about that. So let's pivot this a little bit and maybe dive into one of the items you guys were talking about earlier. And that's the, um, you know, this is easy mm-hmm. um, component. And, you know, I don't think we have much, if any, uh, sway over the vendor sales teams that are going to continue to use that that pitch. But what can we do as consultants? What can we do as managers of analytics? Um, you know, regardless of our role, what can we do to help better educate the business on what it actually takes? Because I think it's it's important um, because setting the proper expectations is going to ensure better communication and better results. 
Um, but I also think it's important that we help educate so that they can set better expectations with their stakeholders. Oftentimes they're just trying to turn things around and they're just saying, well, based on what I think, it's going to be a day. So, you know, what can we do to help better change that, that belief that, oh, this is just easy. My, my immediate thought goes to, um, one, one part of that is, is documenting what the overall tech stack looks like at a company. Um, when a vendor comes to a sales presentation and they say, hey, yeah, it takes 30 minutes to deploy the base code and you can just customize anything there. What they're not taking into account is the fact that the CMS that the client is using is 15 years old and somebody built it um, from the ground up and there's 30 other pieces of technology um, that are grown off of that and built custom off of it. And it looks like a giant piece of, of Frankenstein type of a, of a solution. And, and all of a sudden, that really simple thing that you can just drop into a piece of code requires 14 individuals to look at before it can be deployed. And then another 12 to validate in a, a QA environment, not to, not to mention the, um, unlimited permeations of exceptions that can break that now because of, of all of these other pieces. So, so how do we stop that? Or how do we make people realize it's, it's more complicated than simply, Hey, drop this code in place and launch will do everything um, for you. Or Google tag manager will do that for you is I think visually showcasing to people how many different pieces of technology are in place for a particular environment and indicate that every one of the small or fragile links in that chain can cause massive disruption for any of the technology involved. You know, one exception or one error thrown, you know, early on in the foundational pieces of that technology, which oftentimes our technology in this space is built as backdoors into it, truthfully, right? Like launch and these tag manager tools are built to be backdoors to subvert all of those other processes in IT, um, oftentimes we can be compounding an existing problem of an underlying uh, framework that is just not stable or or has some instability that we're not aware of. So documenting yeah. it and visualizing it, I think is, is one way that we can start. I agreed. And I think it's as part of that process, it's really important to think really critically about the language that we used in doing that. It's it's something that I've been focused on on more and more as I'm kind of the the bridge between the MarTech teams and upper executives is that I'm trying to be more cautious of the words I'm using as I'm as I'm explaining why things are are challenging and harder than they had expected. And and I'm not saying to to talk down to them or treat them like they're a child, but oftentimes our, our default is just to start to rattle off a lot of techno speak. And I, and I think about Homer Simpson where Marge starts talking to him about something and then he's got the picture of the monkey in his head banging the symbols together. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I think that's what happens when we talk with stakeholders and we say things like, well, you know, this is really hard because I have to set this EVAR on this landing page and we've got our Adobe Analytics deployment happening through Telium, but, you know, there's a, a race condition when we're trying to attach to the data layer, which got, like the, the monkey like pops in the head and starts banging the symbols. 
So I think we have to be a lot smarter about the language we're using to make sure that we're painting a, a realistic picture. Again, not dumbing it down and not talking to them as if they were a, a child, but 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 not taking this like techno speak to that to them as some kind of a foreign language because they're 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 checking out of that conversation. So I think the emphasis needs to be on us to figure out how to better communicate some of those things and help them understand why it's it's a challenge uh, because clearly that approach isn't working. We can talk all day long about how setting these variables or doing this and that is hard, but unless they get it, it's not going to change their behavior. Yeah, I find a lot of a lot of the conversations I have are really me being an interpreter between two different entities at a company, be it the technologists and those that are going to be using the output from the technology. Um, and, and I feel like I've done fairly well in being able to, to translate that in a way that a doesn't make people feel stupid um, or like I'm talking down to them, but also B I'm articulating the needs and, and, and simply, you know, being there um, as an outside source. I mean, Jim, you, you and I have seen this too directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's another account that I'm thinking of that we work on where Jen and I show up and, and just by us initiating a meeting and then actually physically and verbally stepping back and watching two departments talk that have never talked before and maybe moderating that oftentimes unlocks a lot of, a lot of the confusion um, that that's, you know, existed between those, those areas. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. And I and I think that there are two major values that come out of being able to do that. Number one is the obvious is that if we can help create better communication, it, it ultimately gets us to a place that, that we want to be where we're properly setting expectations. We're having things that are coming into us better informed. We're not in this emergency mode all the time. But I also think it potentially addresses something that has has long been a challenge for uh, this um, this role within organizations is that oftentimes, and I'm a big fan of the IT crowd. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, British comedy Four Seasons. It's amazing, uh, but it's a it's a really perfect visual for where analytics uh, often sits within an organization. So um, the IT team is literally in the basement of the office tower, and the office tower is this beautiful tower with these great views of London, and then the IT um, department is literally in the basement. There's trash, there's garbage all over the hallways. Like it's dark, it's dingy. You know, that's where we often find ourselves um, as digital analytics practitioners is that we're in the basement. We're constantly wanting to be in the upper floors with the executives. But if we're not able to elevate our conversation, then we're, we're never going to get there. So I think if we can use this in the short term to fix a lot of the challenges we have where unrealistic expectations are being set on us because there's a lack of understanding, a longer term byproduct is I think that if we start to elevate the language that we're using, it gives us a very real chance of getting out of the basement. And, and I think that obviously benefits us, but it greatly benefits the business to have us more closely aligned with the, the executive team. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing <clears throat> that, that would help as far as giving kind of advice for listeners that are out there right now is, is also stop assuming that you're smarter than everybody else out there or assuming that people are inherently 
um, dumb or stupid in their particular role. I think, I think we, we often use um, our own knowledge as a way to, to make ourselves feel better <laughs> about what we're doing. And we think, oh man, you know, Jim implemented this five years ago. What the hell was he thinking? Like, this is such a stupid solution. Like, no, I mean, like it, it, that might be true, but let's assume that he knew what he was doing and, and maybe look through that as well um, when we're, <laughs> we're trying to explain that. It's just such an easy thing, especially as an outside uh, consultant to come in and, and throw everybody previous to us under the bus as uh, inadequate in what they were doing um, <laughs> in, in trying to solve a business problem. So um, just assume people know what they're doing and, and work with them on that. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point, and we've discussed it before, is just, you know, one of the overarching issues with the industry and why we keep going in cycles is, is people come in and because maybe something doesn't match exactly the way they would do it, they feel it needs to be torn to the ground and rebuilt. And of course, you know, it, it, it's, it's oversimplified, oversold, and then... Because I've seen it time and time again. Someone new comes in, they see something, they're like, oh, no, it can't be done that way. We need to tear it down, but only to come find out that there are intricacies within the other tools, like you had mentioned, you know, a 15-year-old, right. you know, CMS, um, some other homegrown solution that what they just tore down was built to to handle some of the nuances of, of those other tools. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can have a whole episode on, on that, but you're right. And I think that's a, a another huge um, reason why we, we are in the basement is that that's where the foundation is. And if we're constantly tearing down the foundation and focusing our time on building it, we, we can't crawl out of that. And and we see that a lot. We see that a lot where there's a lot of turnover in digital analytics. People come in and they rip down everything that was, was built before. And if you, if you subscribe to the... Sh- shoulders of giants um we're never going to stand on anyone's shoulders because we're ripping everything down when we're staying in the basement and then we turn around and we complain about it so Mm -hmm. at some point in time there needs to be some kind of balance there where we can start building upwards yeah yeah ironically um these companies that have all of this really really crappy implementation and poor technology are making hundreds of millions of dollars with all of that tracking and, and crappy technology. I mean, it, it's just so funny to me that there's, there is such a level of elitism and arrogance um, with some, some people that they can walk into a company that is, that is, you know, been around for, you know, a hundred years in some cases are making money hand over fist and they can have the arrogance to walk in and say, your technology is all shit. Like you need to tear it all down and you need to do it this way because that's the right way. And it's like, well, can't you, can't you figure out like what we're actually doing here first? Because even though Jim built this 15 years ago, guess what? Like it's serving all of our customers right now. It might not be doing it perfectly, but um, you know, maybe, maybe we can take a little bit of a different approach. And, and obviously I'm talking in extremes here, but, but I've seen that. Um, and, and if there's, if there's one way to quickly get yourself, um, you know, a lack of respect or, um, you know, not build bridges. It's to immediately start um, tearing down or criticizing uh, other people's technology and businesses that way. And and people do it just unintentionally 
not realizing what they're doing to themselves and the image that they are portraying about themselves. Well, no, I, I actually, I want, to, I want to double click into that for a moment. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned that Jim, you Jim, has, like, Jim has started, Jim has started using like um, these, but, <laughs> these corporate buzzwords and calls with me and, and like he does a deadpan. Like ever since we did that, that podcast, like, Maybe that was a bad idea because I, I basically increased Jim's vocabulary. I think it, I think it was a bad idea. And and what yeah. I was saying, what I was saying was, I, I'll be on calls with Jim, and he did this yesterday, and he like is dropping these like corporate buzzwords, deadpan, doesn't even flinch, and just keeps going. And and I'm and, I'm, and I stop listening to what he's saying, and, and I'm thinking like, are you messing with me, man? Like, are you messing with me right now? Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And he just keeps going. So I, I don't know if like you just seeded these things in his head and he's just saying them now, or if he's just, if he's seriously just messing with me, like I'm going to drop something in here. I think he's very serious. serious? Yeah, you, yeah. You said yesterday we were on a call and you're like, we don't want to boil the ocean here. I'm like, is he messing with me right now? Oh shit. Maybe I'm worse than I thought I was. <laughs> he didn't even wrap. Maybe So maybe he's not messing with me. You just, yeah. you just like, put all these words in his head, dude. And now it's just now, like, now, now you may be even more self-conscious. I, I put all of the best words in his head, like the bestest of the vocabularies, you know, like well, oh. going back to, to what I was saying, and I'm trying to remember my train of thought, the whole double click thing was an intentional joke. Yeah. Um, but like you, um, God, what did you say? I was talking about people that go in and, and rip apart oh, technology. Yeah. Oh, so you, you would say that and you would say something earlier too, that made me think like, you know, part of it is, is intentional, but then I think part of the problem is when people do that, because it starts this vicious cycle of, of overselling or mm -hmm. Jason, to your point of like, you know, you were talking with, with a prospect and, you know, they have another you know, another pro uh, they're working with somebody else for, uh, on scope and they came in, they said they could solve the problem right away. That's also part of the problem is these people that come in and say right off the bat, I can solve the problem with very little discovery or analysis. So that sets the table right there that very little information should be needed to solve the problem. So when we come in and say, whoa, 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 I need more details. People are like, well, what do you mean? Why can't you do what you need to do based on what I told you? What more information do you need? I mean, I've encountered that and you made me think of that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And we need to be emphasizing um, the value of sustainability over the value of short-term gratification. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. think it comes down to that a lot is that we want everything and we want it right now. And if we don't get it, then we're, we're unhappy, even though the right now maybe the worst thing possible from a do it we really need to get our video feed going our, our our listeners are missing out on a lot of great visuals here so um that's on yeah. my desk like it's on my desk yeah you know so i i think we, we need to be doing a better job of of emphasizing the value of sustainability over over short-term gratification i think it, it solves a lot of problems and by the way noting visuals uh, your your backdrop is so zen and calming with your uh, saltwater reef it's very nice yeah. so for those that can't see um i held up a mug of one of my favorite tv shows uh rick and morty and um and rick is stating no you're right let's do it the dumbest way possible because it's easier for you 
Um, and that's a, a mug that I have on my desk to remind me of things like this. And, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I do have a 70 gallon saltwater reef tank in my back. It's beautiful. That, it's that, beautiful. That Jason's looking at. So. Yeah. So we need to be doing a better job of, of helping people understand that there is value to be gained with, with thinking about sustainability. Um, because I, uh, you know, again, I think it's, it's too easy to sell the here and now we see it a lot. I see it a lot on the sales side because I'm up against competition that is telling companies what they want to hear. And oftentimes I'm shocking prospects when I'm saying it's the wrong way to think about it. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm going to give you a proposal for what's best for you long-term and, and, uh, you know, we've we've lost deals because of that, where they say, oh, no, we just need this fix right now. I'm like, well, but, but you, you made me actually think of a deal that um, we, we'd worked with someone for a few months and then we came back to them and said, hey, you know, we want to keep working together. Here's what it's going to take is a lot of thinking and a lot of, you know, ways that we want to work with you. They ultimately decided to go another direction. My question to you, Jason, is in the in the course of running 33 Sticks, um, do you have times in which we have pushed on clients to do something that's uncomfortable and regardless of cost, like, cause I think cost is an easy way that people can throw things around and make excuses, but push somebody to do something uncomfortable cause it was right. And they didn't do it, but have come back to you later and stated, I wish we had done this with you. Yeah. You have, you have examples of that. Yeah, it's it's happened multiple times, both with with clients where we've been able to re-engage with them and and others where people have left the organization and come back to me and mm-hmm. said, man, I screwed up that decision. I really wish I would have done that that differently. And and that's, what, you know, it, it, I think it was is good for us to to kind of go those separate directions. And sometimes it's from the prospect or client and sometimes it's from us saying, if, if you can't get on board with it, we're, we're not going to be able to work together because ultimately in the long run, s- smart people will see the value in that. And the fact that people are able to learn a valuable lesson from that, I think is way more important than, you know, the value of maybe a short term deal where we, we didn't you know we just jumped in and did it. So it's it's hard, though. You know, it, it is hard because we want to please now. We want the now. But over seven years of, of building this company, I have learned that. Um, making decisions that are have the future in mind have never come back to, to hurt me. Yeah. And, and, and sure, it may have made things more difficult in the short term, you know, this week or this quarter, but in the long term, the gains and the value of making those decisions far outweighed it. So if you're able to, to stave off the short term pain, you, you will absolutely benefit in, in the long run. Yeah. And I, I think as part of that, you know, you were talking about like elevating the conversation, elevating the, the, the words used and not getting too much into the, the, the techno babble to, to educate a client on, on what's involved. I think part of that too, and this is something I've been trying to practice is, is standing firm, not getting caught up in the emergency and creating exceptions. Because as we had mentioned very early in, in the conversation, the exception quickly becomes the rule. The, um, okay, I'll make an exception this time. Well, that, that sets the expectation that you're always going to be able to do it or always be able to turn around something quickly. It, it, it's standing firm on 
what the expectation should be. Yeah. And and I think that that can be a really, really valuable conversation. We maybe make a note of having a, a future episode where we bring Evan back on to talk about that, because I think I agree mm-hmm. with you, but that also takes a tremendous amount of trust. And and so I think there's a, a real organizational component from a um, from a cultural standpoint and from a management skills standpoint to, to make that work, because if I'm let's say a manager of analytics, and I know that this is the right approach, but I don't have trust in my my management chain, then I'm making decisions not based on what's best for the organization, but what's gonna keep me sustained in mm-hmm. a job so I can pay my bills. From from a consulting perspective, it's it's no different. Um, you know, if if you guys didn't have my my trust, you know, it's really difficult for you to stand firm with the client because if the client gets upset or we lose the client, now I'm like, well, Jim's fired, right? So you have to have that trust that you're doing the right thing, that that you're, ma- <laughs> you're making choices that, that we believe is best and aligned with our culture, right? And, you know, I, we kind of joke about it, but I, I'm serious. I don't think that there are other consultants and other agencies that have that same level of trust that you have. So it's, mm-hmm. it's much more difficult. And there are consultants that have really strong kind of backbone and able to do that regardless, but most aren't. And if they're not in a in a situation where they feel safe and trusted, they're going to lead clients down a wrong path because they're making decisions for their self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, I worked in an organization and on, on the agency side of things, it was who screamed the loudest. So whomever yelled and threatened the most, they they got what they wanted. So you know, Jason, what you were saying there is, is very, very true. People were in fear of, you know, some level of, of punishment coming back their way. There was, you know, a level of fear of, of retribution, you know, screaming to your boss and your boss's boss to, to get stuff done and the level of trust we've been able to build up. I mean, you know, that, that wasn't there immediately, but it's something we had to work on or that, you know, that, that, that trust was there that we were both out for, for the, the same thing and the right thing. We have, if, if you didn't have um, a list of topics for future episodes, I think we have three or four coming out of this that are, are absolutely really, really valuable topics we should follow up on. Um, mm-hmm. from, from this conversation, I think we, we've hit on a few key things. Um, uh, you know, Brian brought up the importance of of being able to communicate uh, across organizations, and and really the big takeaway from that is being really careful with the language we use, so that we're effectively communicating and and kind of elevating that that conversation. Um, we've talked a lot of, in the, here in the end about about trust and kind of doing the right thing. And um, man, if you don't, if you're not in a situation where you're you're trusted and you feel safe, you probably should. You probably should move out of that, um, but ultimately, in your role as an analytics practitioner, um, for me, and and I, I've harped on this a lot. I, I I did a session a couple of years ago at one of Observe Point summits on sustainability. For me, we need to be thinking much more about sustainability and stop making rash, short-term decisions that may feel good right now. Um, but ultimately, these things start to pile up and become a huge weight on us. And and in the end, you know, we end up quitting jobs, leaving people aren't happy. That adds to the turnover problem. So thinking sustainably is, is something that I think we need to do a better job from an industry perspective in, in pushing and helping people feel safe in, in making those those smart long term decisions. 
Well, and, and take that beyond just this job or this task at hand. Like, I think that's just a good, it's a good way to live and, and have your day to day is, um, you know, we, we recently moved um, and I've got a, a massive list of home projects to work on now. And one of the things I'm really trying to be deliberate about as I work on projects here at home, which um, may not be directly related to analytics, but it's just don't do anything quick and cheap. Don't do anything, you know, just to, to stop something immediately, but think through what is the best solution for a particular problem and take the time to do something right. Otherwise, yeah. I will be, you know, like when it comes to a home or home repairs, you know, if you do something crappy just because it's, it takes you five minutes versus 50 the first time, you're going to spend much more than that 50 over the next few years coming back to that same particular problem. Yep. So no, just, you're, just you're, do you're, something right the first time and, and think yeah. it through. I was exactly going to say that, like how many times have we made a purchase where we see an item, it's like, oh, we really want that, but the price tag seems high. So you go for the cheaper version and then you're kicking yourself because you spend three times the amount either because the thing broke and you have to replace it or the cheaper version just doesn't work the way you want it. So you need to buy the full version or the the, the more expensive yeah. version. It, it Yeah, yeah it, it, it happens all the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. And I love that you're taking that approach, Brian. I, I've actually been thinking about writing an article because uh, I've been talking a bit about some of the changes I've made this year to be more structured in how I think and work. And um, that is that is something that I'm absolutely committed to this year is finding the joy and enjoying the process. And I think this yeah. this goes to you know, being able to delay gratification is that we think that the joy is at the end when we get to it. So we, we take shortcuts so we can get to the end. Um, and, and to counter that, I've, I've been really finding it, um, just really amazing and, and finding the joy and just enjoying the process of getting there. And it, it's, it's life-changing. It's, it's such the old cliche that life's a journey, not a destination. Right. But it yep. like, maybe those, maybe those grandparents of ours knew what they were talking about, you know? Agreed. Are you, are you? I'm just smirking. What are you looking at? Brian's Brian's smirking. All right. This is awesome. (laughs) It it, it really was. So one, one more topic for future, uh, future discussion is when to fire a client when it's okay to say goodbye. My good topic. Yeah. That's a powerful one. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Yeah. Glad uh, we we decided to lift your suspension. Yeah. <laughs> he's back in the he's back in the first team. Yeah, just double click into it. <laughs> we have all a right, lot well, of emotions to boil, so we, we need to we need all the hands we can get to be focused on this key initiative. Sweet. Yep. All right, guys. I'm done with the both of you. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> no, great great conversation, great topic, Jason. Bryant, great talking to you. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.